0: The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production.
1: What's up guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles and listening to the Two Man
2: Power Trip. Oh my God, this is Joey Styles and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast.
3: This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the Prince of Pro Wrestling, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip.
2: This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey everybody out there, this is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. See, so you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind a show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We're ready to go or what? Uh, and... uh Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Zach Ryder. I doubt that. Oh. Dolph Ziggler is doing what he can here. And up over oh, to go Reiner oh, with a double man. knee. A double knee for Ryder. Ziggler's in trouble. Zach Ryder. Rough Ryder. Oh no. Yes. Come on, Dolph! Come on, Dolph! Come on, Dolph! It's pandemonium! The roof just came off this arena. Look at these. Look at the WWE Universe there Oh, come on! Smile. Look at
0: this! All right, let's get it going right here, right now. This is the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling brought to you today and powered by our new sponsor my bookie stay tuned a little bit later on in the show and find out how you can get in on the action by signing up to MyBookie today and make the upcoming nfl season a little bit more interesting by getting into the world of my bookie but more about that later on in the show today's episode we have an awesome interview that john was able to conduct With a current WWE superstar and podcaster extraordinaire, the one and only Long Island Ice-Z, Zack Ryder. But hey, before we get into that, if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. So, like I said, John sits down today with Zack Ryder for a really fun and interesting chat about everything in the world of the Long Island IC, whether it's his podcast, the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast, with his former and current tag team partner as a major brother, and then also in his current iteration, Kurt Hawkins, which, if you stay, Stay tuned after the interview with Zack Ryder. We're going to throw in a little bonus for you, a classic, if you will, a bonus interview that we conducted with Kurt Hawkins back in May of 2016. We're going to give you a little bit of a piece of that interview to throw into this great chat here again, like I said, three times that John has had with Zack Ryder that we're bringing to you today, where, look, I mean, if you know anything about John and myself... The wrestling figure history is very strong with the two of us. I mean, if you go back to our heyday as uh, whippersnappers, as little kids – definitely the wrestling figure was uh on the edge of the uh the the tongues if you will of both john and myself i mean we were collecting every single action figure line that there was known to man as it was but when it came to wrestling figures whether you started off in the ljn generation and kind of graduated into the world of the hasbros and the uh that was wwf and the wcw figures which were made by a toy company called galoob these were the figures that defined the childhood. Now, I lean more towards the LJNs. I think John kind of leads a little bit more towards the Hasbros. But Zack Ryder is obsessed with all kinds of wrestling figures, even up to the, uh, the current Wrestling figures, which again, his podcast just absolutely accentuates that, and has a whole built-in little world of uh, cult status with the wrestling figure collecting community, because Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins obviously were really well known as being toy collectors in their early days of getting into the business that was kind of some of the funny stories you'd hear on podcasts back in the uh, the early part of the 2010s is that Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins were these giant wrestling figure collectors and now at this point it's a little bit more accepted and you see other guys that have these huge wrestling figure collections like Michael Elgin is a giant wrestling figure collector and Ethan Page is a giant wrestling figure collector so it's like people are kind of out of the proverbial wrestling figure collecting Closet, uh, because back in the day, I don't think many guys really cared about the merchandise that was out there, but this generation of superstars, they grew up as fans, and what was on the uh, the, the, the want list every week, it was the new wrestling figure wave, so we get to hear about Hasbros, we get to hear about LJNs, we get to hear about current figures, and everything that goes on in this glorious world of Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins and how about the team of Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins mastering the podcast world but their tag team goes back a very long way all the way back to their days in NYWC breaking into the business as two very passionate fans going all the way through Deep South Wrestling, going through OVW together, and then obviously up to their break as the major brothers on WWE WWE SmackDown, where the two of them were kind of, uh, (laughs) they morphed into Edgeheads because they all had that same kind of look to Edge, but this is a team that's got roots going back to their early, early days training in the wrestling business and their love of wrestling figures, bonding them to create this awesome major wrestling figure podcast like Like I said earlier, these guys have created like a cult of wrestling figure collectors that they're tweeting about these... Uh, these podcasts, these uh, new findings that they've got out there in the wild, seeing what's new on the shelves. And uh, as John's talking to Zack Ryder, it's really funny to hear he's actually in the parking lot of Walmart getting ready to go scratch that figure itch, if you will, to get the newest figure that's out on the market. Uh, But yeah, hey, listen, support Zack Ryder and the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. Obviously, you can catch Zack Ryder every single week on WWE programming, still a staple of the wwe universe obviously was just a tag team champion earlier in the year so there's still a lot going on in the world of the long island iz but we'll talk about some of his history in here as well so that's enough out of me let's wrap it up here nice let's hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and let's get it on over to the woo-woo man himself zach Ryder. now for some
3: tmpt business like us on facebook Follow us on Twitter, at TwoManPowerTrip and at RasslinPal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend, Bruno Sammartino, the late, great American dream, Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer, Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane, Jacobs... The phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page, check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify,
0: and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former WWE Intercontinental Champion, a former WWE United States Champion, and a two-time WWE World Tag Team Champion, You may know him as the Long Island IZ, but he is Zack Ryder. Woo, 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 you know it.
2: Thunder always drawing
4: the line right now is a WB superstar. Of course, he's a former WB Intercontinental Champion, as well as a United States Champion and a World Tag Team Champion. Of course, he is a Long Island Zone Zach Ryder. Zach, welcome to the two-man power trip. Thank you for having me on. No problem at all. And, of course, got to talk to you immediately about the podcast. And, obviously, we're in the podcast game. You are now in the podcast game. This is so cool because I'm such a figure, Mark, and been collecting figure God, since uh, the mid-'80s, so it's been a very long time. But tell us a little bit about your podcast, Major Wrestling Figure Podcast.
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, Hawkins and I, we are diehard wrestling fans, diehard wrestling figure fans. And I had been pitching him the, the idea, the concept of the podcast for uh, at least a year or so before we actually started. And I think I just annoyed him enough that uh, he just gave in. And uh, last year, we watched SummerSlam uh, at his house, and afterwards, we borrowed some of his equipment. It was actually Colt Cabana's original equipment, and we did a little pilot, and
4: uh, a year later, here we are. It's uh, unbelievable to think, you know, like the guys in the business, oh, they can't be fans, but of course they're fans. I mean, most of them, especially you, that's kind of why you got into the business. You're such a big fan. What got you... Kind of hooked on doing the podcast because I notice a lot of podcasts, you know, come and go. And like, oh, a wrestler will be interested in doing a podcast, and they and they you know, kind of go away from you guys. You're obviously invested in it for a long time, like you said, since basically summer slam What kind of keeps you interested and motivated in you know doing the podcast?
1: Well, I mean, to start, uh, I knew I kind of was interested in podcasts. Obviously, I listen to podcasts, but like you said, so many wrestlers. Uh, have podcasts and so many uh, wrestling podcasts are out there. So I w- didn't want to just have a wrestling podcast. I wanted it to be something special and something unique. And uh, Hawkins and I were just BSing about figures anyway for hours a day. <laughs> so I figured why not turn this into a podcast and let's see if there's any other uh, uh, figure collectors out there. And of course there are. And every week, you know, once we finish recording, we're like, oh man, like we're not going to have anything by next week. And then by the next week, we got tons of info, so uh, we can always cover old figures, new figures, and uh, we never run out of uh, content.
4: Absolutely not. It's so cool to you know to, to get guys like you that are on TV, they're very big names in, in wrestling, talking about stuff that so many fans were not nervous to talk about, but just kind of didn't talk about forever, whether they didn't want to admit they were figure collectors. Have you ever run into that yourself where you're like i don't know if i want to admit that i'm such a big figure collecting you know you, you as a fan sometimes you kind of deal with those people like i don't want to admit i collect toys you know or collect figures
1: no 100 percent. especially uh when i was uh in college you know i was 18 19 20 going into a toys r us and buying toys and i would always ask for the gift receipt and uh, pretend it was a gift for somebody else
4: <laughs> and uh
1: and then and then when Hawkins and I got signed to WWE, we were so young, and, and the guys on the roster were these grown men like JBL and uh, Hardcore Holly and Undertaker, and they didn't grow up in a time where they were playing with wrestling figures, you know? So we were the first of our generation. Now everyone's playing video games. Everyone collects something. Everyone's a fan of something. So now it's, it's way more accepted, but there's no way – uh, 10 years ago, I could be like, hey, uh, Hardcore Holly, you want to be a guest on the major wrestling figure podcast? They'd kick me out of
4: the locker room. <laughs> that is so true. And and it is funny kind of see the the evolution and where it's come. What was the first kind of set or the first toys you got into? Was it LJN? Yeah, it was uh, LJN figures.
1: Uh, I was super young. I, I don't remember... Uh, People ask me all the time, I don't remember the first match I I watched. I don't remember the first figure I had. All I remember is that my whole childhood, ever since I was basically a baby, involved wrestling and being obsessed with wrestling and the wrestling figures, uh, I still have all my childhood LJNs. And if you look at them, they're all beat up. I was playing with them. And and I was even, like, biting the fingers off. You know, I was using Mm -hmm. them as, like, killing toys.
4: Yep. Had so many experiences with that with my LJNs. I mean, the noses are off, uh, the, the fingers yeah. are off. They're all beaten to hell.
1: Those things were indestructible.
4: I remember uh, using King Kong Bundy specifically as a weapon to beat up my brother because that thing was like it literally weighed like twenty pounds.
1: I was about to say you could you could do some serious damage with a King Kong Bundy LJN. <laughs>
4: Such a, a, a cool thing to start off with. I was obsessed with Hogan when I was younger, and you know, after you had to have his LJN, was there a kind of a set or maybe a couple guys you always played with? Uh, definitely, you know, Hogan was my favorite growing up, and uh, I was
1: very fortunate to have the majority of the set. Uh, I didn't realize until later in life uh, about the black cards, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. Haku and Big Boston Recruit. I didn't even know those existed until uh, I was a little older. So I had pretty much everybody, and uh, I would always have my, 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 we call them big feds and my fantasy wrestling federation. And I just, I just loved, you know, building these cards and having them walk down the aisle and have matches. I was very, uh, very much into the the storylines and the the title histories, even as a, a very young kid.
4: That is awesome. It's, uh, same here. I was just obsessed with those. And I was lucky enough and fortunate enough that a friend of mine lived across the street. His aunt worked at a toy store in Brooklyn, and they were always in, like, oh, this is coming out next, or we have this, or, we have that. So I was all over Haku and the Bossman and Rick recruit. I had that set. And the Warrior, I had that whole set.
1: Yeah, see, like, my, my neighbor, he also had the figures. And he had Harley Race and Ultimate Warrior. And those were, I thought, the only two I didn't have. And then uh, my my grandma, she found me a haku at a garage sale years later, and that's when I'm like, oh, my God, there's more guys that I don't know about.
4: Such a – just an awesome time. It just, you know, obviously brings back great memories of growing up as a kid and being such a big fan. Is LJN's your favorite, or or do you kind of lean towards maybe Hasbro's, or what what do you kind of lean as far as some of the favorites that you have? I think uh, my absolute
1: favorites are –
4: the uh, the Hasbros and maybe the the Bone
1: Crunches, 'cause because those I actually really remember finding in the stores. You know, I'm, I was way too young for the LJMs. I remember having them, and I see a uh, home video of me opening them on Christmas morning, but I don't really remember, you know, going into a store and finding them. The the Hasbros I remember, uh, the Bone Crunches, the Jacks I remember. And, and that's what's so great about this podcast, something we didn't really think about when we started, is that we're, uh, you know, Someone who's a fan of Zach Ryder or Kurt Hawkins might listen to it, and then they're like, oh my God, I had these figures as a kid, and now they, they're rebuying them on eBay, or they're going to Target or Walmart and buying the new Mattels. And uh, we just thought it would be for the current collectors. We didn't realize that we would get old collectors back in or start new collectors. So that's a really cool uh, cool thing that we didn't even think about.
4: Yeah, my uh, my wife's probably not happy, but... You know, you guys kind of got me thinking, too. I'm like, damn it. I was like, I sold, you know, Warrior for, like, 75 bucks a couple of years ago. I was like, man, I want it back. Like, so I'm starting to want to get all my old LJNs and all my old Hasbro's back. But it's kind of like uh, a double-edged sword. It's like, I want it back. I should have never sold it. But then it's like, man, it's going to gonna cost me a lot of money here. Yeah, that's why people call us the most expensive free podcast. A hundred percent true. Cause you listen, you're like, oh, God damn it. Like, ah. Oh. I want my Dusty Rhodes Hasbro back, or, you know, something like that. It's basically, it's so true. You guys um, are, are definitely kind of hitting that market, if so to speak.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm guilty of it, too, of, of selling something and rebuying it and selling it and rebuying it. I've done it too many times where now I'm telling myself, all right, when in doubt, uh, do not sell. Just store it somewhere, hold on to it. But I'm, I'm guilty of, of selling stuff as well and then regretting it, and then buying it back, and then selling it, and then buying it back. It, it, it's uh, it's an addiction.
4: It, it really is. And your collection, if anybody wants to, you know, check out his Twitter, look at his, his figure collection, you have probably the greatest wrestling figure collection of all time. How long, I mean, how long really did it take you to amass that? Basically, from when you were a kid to now, is how you've amassed that awesome collection?
1: I mean, they do call me the Michael Jordan of wrestling figure collecting. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it started off, uh, you know, just, toys that i played with as a kid and then as i got older and i i stopped playing with them i had to go back and you know rebuy the ljns because like i said mine were all chewed up and i had to rebuy the Hasbro's, even the jacks because they were all scuffed up from playing like like you're supposed to do with them, play with them uh so then i think once i started like turning uh 18 and going to wrestling school and i was more of an adult collector at that point
4: as far as the hasbro's do you have some favorite ones? Because, like, that, I love the LGNs, but the Hasbros are probably my favorite. That was kind of like my bread and butter. You're right. I literally remember going into Toys R Us and looking at me, oh, can I find the Bret Hart? Can I find this guy, that guy?
1: Hasbro, your favorite? Yeah, I would say Hasbro or the, the Bone Crunchers are my favorite. And uh, what's so cool about the Hasbro figures is that I've been fortunate enough to find a lot of the, uh, the unreleased prototypes, figures that were in catalogs or, or ads or figures that were never thought to exist. And I, I've got them uh, in my collection now. So there's uh, the Rhythm and Blues, Greg the Hammer Valentine, or, or Tugboat, or Brutus Beefcake in the Mega Maniac gear. So it's really cool that uh, almost 30 years later, we're able to find um, these, these new but old figures. The other day, I got an LJN Killer Khan in the mail, unreleased. So it's crazy that there's, there's definitely
4: still more things out there. Wow, that is unbelievable! How did you come across that? They sent it to you.
1: So I, uh, I, I, I. Nowadays, I forget eBay. You know, you're not gonna find anything really good on eBay. You gotta go into like the Facebook groups, and uh, see, like it's more like an underground community of pre-production and prototype collectors. Uh, and about, I uh, say, a year ago, I found this ex-LJN employee who had a bunch of hand-painted uh, LJN prototypes. I bought a couple things from him, but one of the things he had was an unpainted Tiller Con. Uh, it was the wax, like, before they even put it into the, uh, the production process, before it's even resin, in, before it gets made into the rubber uh, figures, and uh, the leg was broken off, and the, the arm was broken off, and the fingers were all, like, cracked off. So what he did was he, uh, he got another ex-LJN employee to, um, I guess, fix, fix the uh the figure and they made they made five of them. So technically it's, it's I guess it's a custom, but it's the closest I'm gonna get to the real thing.
4: That is unbelievable. Never even
1: seen that or heard of that. That's just unbelievable, man. Yeah, so cool. if if you look at the uh the major rest of your podcast
4: Instagram uh and Twitter, I, I posted pictures this week, so it's up there. Oh, good. I, I must have missed that. I gotta check that out. That is awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. And that Greg Valentine, which I've obviously seen in your collection at Rhythm and Blues. That has got to be, you know, at the top of the collection is one of the most valuable ones.
1: Yeah, 100%, because, you know, as a kid, uh, this is before the Internet. You know, so you didn't know nowadays, you know the lineups uh, months in advance. You see the pictures months in advance. You can even pre-order them uh, from sites like Ringside Collectibles. But back in the day, you didn't know, you know, until you walked into the store and you saw them. But uh, in this case, there was a, a Toys R Us Mad in the uh, WWE magazine uh, showcasing the new tag team set. It had... Rockers, Demolition, Bushwhackers, and Rhythm and Blues. So as a kid, you go to Toys R Us, and and you see uh, Rockers, you see Bushwhackers, you see Demolition, but Rhythm and Blues aren't there. And, you know, at first you think, oh, they're just, you know, sold out, they don't have them. And then, you know, years later, uh, you find out it was unreleased, it never came out, and to have that actual Greg from that actual ad uh, is something incredible. And that's something I found
4: on a Facebook uh, group. You know, that's not something
1: that was put on eBay.
4: I love how deep you are digging into the Facebook groups, uh, finding ex-employees. That's some dedication, right there.
1: Yeah, I mean, because you know, there's stuff on eBay. Uh, don't get me wrong; you can find some cool stuff on eBay. But I think the the real, uh, the real like, the employees they don't want to be publicly known. You know, they want to because mm-hmm. yep. if they if you if they put themselves out there, then everyone's gonna hit them up. You know, and annoy them and lowball them. So they only want to deal with uh, serious collectors, and I don't blame them.
4: Now, tell me what you think about this trade. This was a trade, and I remember this so vividly, and it's crazy, because we were like 10 years old or whatever we were at this point. A friend of mine traded Hasbro Undertaker and Hasbro Doink, which are very rare, or not rare, very uh, easy to get. You can pretty much get them anywhere. Traded them for the very rare Nasty Boys Hasbro. Do you think that was a great trade on his part? Ooh, well, the Nasty
1: Boys are very tough. They were tough to get, I remember
4: now. It really depends. Are we
1: talking Undertaker number one? Are we talking Undertaker number two with the jacket? Are we talking mail taker? What are we
4: talking? No. <laughs> it this, really depends. This, this, yeah, good call though. This is the not the rare this is easy to find no jacket undertaker undertaker number one. I
1: you know, I think it's a it's a pretty fair trade. I, it really depends who you really wanted for your fig
4: fed back in the day. Yeah, I told my friend that, that, you know, you really screwed that kid because he probably could have went to Toys R Us and just got Undertaker and Doink off the shelf, but it's really, really hard to find the Nasty Boys. I had a hard time finding the Nasty Boys, too. I had, you know, KB Toys, Toys R Us, Childs, where you check every uh, place, and they were one of the hardest guys to get.
1: Yeah, I remember finding the Nasty Boys, and it was very hard to get. Like, them and L.O.D. I had a tough time
4: getting. Yes, yes, L.O.D. So with the the mail away, did you have the mail away, Brett and the Undertaker, and the mail away Hogan?
1: As a kid, I, I did not have them. You know, I was a I was a diehard fan, but you know, I was a kid, so I couldn't you know buy every wrestling magazine I wanted. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so I didn't even know about the mail away. So I, you know, my my parents would buy me the magazine every once in a while, and later on, I had a subscription. But I must have missed that issue or those issues that had the mail away, uh, you know, ad in it. So I didn't even know. Uh, those were real, and 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 now they go for so much money. I have them in my collection now, but yes, oh yep. my god, it's, it's it's unbelievable. And especially because the Brett and the Undertaker are so similar to the to the major releases, and those are the most expensive one. You would think Hogan would be the most expensive because he's such a cool figure, but Hogan is the easiest one to get.
4: Very weird. I never had them. Obviously, you know, you see them now in your collection. I never had them. Always wanted them. And then there was the the green card set which I never got, the Ludwig Borga, which was awesome, the yeah, atom bomb, one, two, three, kid, the, the uh, alternate, Yoko, smoking guns. Did you, as a kid, did you have those? Because I remember when I was a kid, we were about the same age. I always had a hard time could never find those guys. See, I was, uh, I was lucky
1: enough to grow up, like, literally across the street from a comic book store that carried uh, the figures. So, like, Toys R Us stopped carrying the figures around me. So I knew... Um, that the green cards were coming in, and I was able to get everybody from that set except for one, two, three kid. Uh, and it's a famous story—I well, say famous—but it's a story I told a couple times on the podcast. That that year for Christmas, all I wanted was one, two, three kid. And uh, I thought that I saw him. I saw that I thought I saw him wrapped up. So I saved the best for last, so to speak. And when I opened up the figure, thinking it was one, two, three kid, it was a WCW Jimmy Hart figure, and I was so pissed. <laughs>
4: Damn, the very common WCW Jimmy Hart. Very movie. common, Damn. very common. Now, did
1: you? But uh, ever- I, I do, I do have one two three
4: kid now, so it's it's oh. all good. Okay, did you ever get one? Okay, good. I'm sure uh, that is, that's an awesome addition. And it's crazy, the green card collection. It's worth a ton.
1: Oh yeah, because those were it was the dying days of Hasbro, and uh, like I said, not many stores carried it,
4: so very very rare. So it's such a cool set. I remember thinking, man, like I missed out on those, and obviously then they then it kind of morphed into Jacks and stuff like that. But you know, you mentioned WW. You also collected WCW guys as well when you were young.
1: Yeah, I, I, I was so obsessed. I, I had uh, WCW, uh, WWE. Eventually, the ECW. I had it all.
4: Awesome stuff. There's so many awesome uh, figures. Is there any figures out there? that you're kind of still on the hunt for that, that you haven't been able to find in your collection, just amassed unbelievably awesome stuff. Is there anything out there you haven't been able to find somehow?
1: Um, there's a couple uh, prototypes out there that I, I know uh, or at least I think are out there that I, uh, I've i never seen pictures of that I definitely would love to get my hands on. For instance, there's a Shawn Michaels that's in one of the Hasbro ads and uh he, it's like the Heartbreak Kid show, Michael. When he first, it's uh, the one in the white and the, the red that ended up being released. But uh, in the in the ad, he has a different action. He has a the Virgil punch. So, mm. like, I know, I know that it. I mean, it could have been destroyed, but I know it was at least made for that ad. So I would love to see that. Also, the the final set, the orange card that were rumored for years, uh, over the past couple of years, uh, the drawings have popped up. The, uh, the heads have popped up, and even this year, the Doink the Clown repaint and the Lex Luger USA repaint popped up. So I have the diesel head. I have the diesel drawing. I would love to get my hands on that Big Daddy Cool figure if it made it that far in the uh, the production process.
4: Now, that was supposed to be another Bret Hart, right? They're going to throw in there the diesel. I think Jeff Jarrett was supposed to be in it, Doink. Obviously, you said USA Luger, and I'm not sure. Am I getting all the guys? I think I...
1: Yeah, so so it's uh it's USA Luger who was just a repaint from the narcissist. Mm-hmm. It's like a baby face doink. Uh, it's Diesel, Bastion Booger, uh, Jeff Jarrett, and Men on a Mission.
4: Damn it! I wish they would have made those. I would have got all of them. Damn it! That's a pretty yeah. Good so set. so
1: uh the the artwork is out there. The the heads are out there. So and then like I said, this year the Luger and the Doink popped up. So who knows if the others are are out there? We'll
4: see. It is so cool, and it's just awesome to think like, wow, these guys, you know, Ryder and Hawkins, taking champs, they were, you know, you they were on top of the business. At one point, it's awesome to see that you guys were just, you know, very humble. You guys were just fans like us, and that's why the viewership and the listenership of your show, of your show is so big and has amassed such popularity because you guys are kind of, you know, just the everyday normal fans like us. Yeah, and I think the fans relate to that. You know, when we're on the podcast
1: talking about. Now, uh, you know, we're on the road four days a week, at, you know, wrestling, but late night and during the day, we're hitting up every Walmart looking for the new Pat Patterson, you know. I think they can relate, you
4: know. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Is there a time you can remember, like, the most fun hunt that you had, like, finding a guy? Like, I, you know, I remember, obviously, when I was younger, there would be, like, LOD or something, and we found it randomly, you know, 50 miles away at some Toys R Us we've never been to before. Something like, they you know, like, rare guy. Was there a hunt that was your favorite?
1: Um, I would say like nowadays, like, I think the thrill of the hunt is pretty much dead because like I said, you know, what's coming out months in advance, or you can order it from sites like, like ringside collectibles. But, um, the last year with those retro series, like, uh, Walmart got them before ringside collectibles. And it was like, wait a minute, ringside doesn't have these. What am I going to do? So I have to actually go hunt for them. Like, a like I, like I used to, and that was so much fun bringing back those old feelings of just checking these WalMarts uh, all over the United States, finding, Uh, to find these retro figures. And then when I finally found it, I found, uh, I found the whole case and I bought one for Hawkins, one for myself. Uh, and it was was cool. It brought me back like the old school days of just going to these stores and just, that was the only way to get it. You couldn't order it online. And that's what was so, so cool just to bring me back.
4: Yeah, I remember, like, thinking, man, it's so much different. Like, when I was looking for uh, Red Rooster, for instance, like, you know, that came out not to, uh, not that long ago. I'm like, man, I can just order from Target.com. I don't even have to right. go to the store anymore. Yeah, and like, like I said, sites like Ringside Collectibles, I keep plugging
1: them, but they have literally changed the game because you can get these figures months in advance, and, yeah, you're paying a little extra money, but you're getting them months in advance, no headache, no driving, no gas money, no disappointment. It's, like, it's just so, like, relaxing that to have these figures just come right to your doorstep.
4: It is It is so true, and it it's definitely different when we were kids. The Thrill of the Hunt is fun, but obviously getting them in your hand is the most fun, right? Just having them in, in your hand. Right, and, like, the Thrill of the Hunt is great because the high of, of
1: getting the figure is incredible, but that low, that disappointment of not getting anything, mm, oh, man, sure. like... Ooh, ooh, baby, I, I'm not a big fan. Like, I'm looking at Walmart right now. I'm, I'm about to go in there and look for Pat Patterson.
4: So like, it's like, is it in there? I don't know. <laughs> and and we will let you in a few minutes. We'll, we'll hit the winding and we'll head towards the finish because I know you're dying to see if that Pat Patterson, <laughs> uh, you, the IC title, that shirt, I think, is on there, right? Is it, is it the one with that shirt? Yes, and, and I'm such a psychopath that luckily,
1: luckily one of our fans, uh, we call them our major marks, Picked up a Pat Patterson for us, but I still want to get one like in the wild. You know what I'm saying? So like, I I already have one at my house, but I want to find it. You know, I want to find it for myself.
4: Hey, that that's that's the best part of it. Like, I want to find it. It's great that this guy sent it in. One of the fans sent it in, but I want to physically get it myself, and and that is right. the best part of it. One hundred percent. Now there are so many great moments for you actually in wrestling you win the ic title of wrestlemania i mean tag team champion u.s champion my favorite moment of you and maybe you can kind of change it or maybe obviously you can give me your own but i just love the fact that you weren't kind of even involved with it but survivor series 2011 msg the crowd is going nuts for you the whole time and you're not even on the card. the rock puts you over the crowd is cheering for you over seen it it's just one of those things where it's like, wow, how over was this guy? And he's not even on the show.
1: Um,
4: I'll never forget that night. Um, beforehand,
1: before, like you said, before the show even started, the chants were starting. and I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be great. Because like I, I knew, obviously, I was going to come out during the Ziggler-Morrison match. Um, and, yeah, it, it was such a cool time with the, with the YouTube show and the, the culmination of all the hard work and, and the fans uh, recognizing it. And now, finally, WWE giving me a chance. Uh, and that was, yeah, one of those nights that uh, sometimes gets forgotten, but I definitely will never forget that night.
4: That was awesome. It was so cool. And uh, we were chanting, woo, 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 you know, we were all going crazy. And I remember The Rock <laughs> even was just smiling, laughing, and kind of, you know, he was getting into it too.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was great. Like, The Rock is uh, cutting this promo, and the fans are chanting. Uh, for me, I mean, that that's a pretty damn cool moment. You know, I, they can never take that away from me, so that's cool.
4: Unbelievable, and like you said, the YouTube show, show, uh, Z, to Long Island Story of the Long Island, I see that was so cool, so original, you being the internet champion, it was just, I don't know, that was just so awesome and so cool. Is that just like your brainchild, like, you know, they're not doing anything with me, I'm going to be creative myself and show them how creative and how much charisma I really do have?
1: I mean, I think you, uh, that's it exactly, really, Uh, I was doing pretty much nothing on TV, uh, and I, I wasn't the first person to use social media. Definitely not the first, first person to have a, uh, a web series, but I was the first person to do it all on my own. And, uh, and I think I was the first person to show like, Hey, this social media, it's pretty damn powerful, you know, because I was doing nothing on television, but creating this, uh, this following, uh, online. And that led to me getting merchandise. And it was pretty unheard of for someone who's not really on TV to have all this merch and be one of the top sellers. And, uh, it was definitely cool. Something I'm very, very proud of, and uh, it obviously eventually it ran its course. You know, it went two years. In my opinion, it should have went one, uh, So the goal was to was to get on television, and what the goal wasn't to have a YouTube show. So by year the year one, when I finally you know won the U.S. title, something like that, that should have been the end of the show. But by that time, uh, I think I've talked about it before. WWE pretty much uh, made me do it for another year, and, and the, the charm of the show was kind of was kind of dead, you know, because the point of the show was, you know, this underground guy using the fans to to get to TV. And then once I was there, I was like, well, what am I going to talk about now? You know? So there was yeah. a couple gems in the, in the last 50 or so episodes, but uh, it turned into uh, a job and not uh, a, a passion project.
4: Yeah, you could tell because when you were first doing it, doing all that original stuff and kind of using inside terminology and stuff, that was just like so funny and so good. And you could tell you were kind of really passionate and you were really like hitting on all cylinders at that point.
1: Right. And, and, and not to say I wasn't passionate the, the second the second half, but it was different because now I, it had to be turned in by a certain time. And, you know, I didn't have uh, creative control over it. And then they would edit things out and I wouldn't know until it was already up and stuff like that. So it just really took the fun out of it.
4: For sure. And as far as your career, like I mentioned, you know, IC title, US title, tag title, the big moment of Survivor Series. Do you have some other kind of like favorite moments or maybe favorite matches you had, you've had along the way in your WWE career?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I had a lot of, uh, fun matches with Christian. Um, it was really cool being such a, uh, big fan of edge and Christian and you know, to be an edge head and, and, you know, my first WrestleMania, I was running in, uh, during the main event against, uh, when it was edge versus the undertaker. So that's a cool moment or to wrestle Christian, uh, another cool moment. And, uh, You know, it hasn't been the the perfect career, but I wouldn't uh, have it any other way. I love that, you know, I'm the guy who is uh, literally, like, scratching and and clawing for every opportunity, and uh, I think the fans can relate to that. And uh, it's just like a – it's a perfect career in my eyes, you know? Like, yes, I'm not on every pay-per-view. Yes, I'm not on the the, the trucks outside. I don't have all this merch, and there's been so many highs and and so many lows, but I always find a way – to, uh, to get that moment. And if my career is just a bunch of insane, incredible moments, then I'm cool with that. I'm very fortunate for that.
4: Yep. And it's so cool. And we just talked to Dolph Ziggler. He said a lot of his favorite matches are ones that they were only seen by the live attendants, you know, like the house show matches and stuff. He said some of those are, are some of his favorite more so than some of the ones that people just think of off the top of their heads.
1: I would 100% agree with that. So many matches I've had with uh, – with Ziggler or Miz or Cesaro or Ambrose, matches where you have time and uh, you know there's no commercial breaks and you can, you can go 20 minutes, you know, stuff like that. So those those are definitely my favorite, uh, you know, in ring matches. Obviously, like it, it doesn't, you know, uh, it's not a moment like WrestleMania. Of course, WrestleMania winning the IC title is my favorite thing ever. But I think my favorite actual bell to bell matches are matches that happen on the live event that that nobody will ever see unless you're in the building.
4: Very true. Now, as far as yourself and your career, obviously, still young, still going to be wrestling, but let's just say five years from now, where do you see yourself? Do you see this podcast kind of taking over? Do you see yourself still doing both? Do you see yourself kind of investing more into wrestling or more into podcasting, still going to be collecting figures? Where do you see yourself in five years?
1: Well, I'll definitely still be collecting figures, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, the podcast is cool because – uh, it doesn't really take up that much time. You know, Hawkins and I, we record it on the road, so it's like an hour and a half, two hours, and the rest of it is just like social media posts. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so it's a, it's a good hobby. It's a good creative outlet. And uh, obviously my goal is to be the WWE champion. You know, I'm 34 years old, I, but I'm not old. Yeah, I've been on the roster for, for uh, since 2007 for a long time, but I'm still one of the youngest guys uh, there. It's just that I've been around so damn long, you know? So, uh, you know, like you said, I've, I've, I've captured other championships, and the, the goal for me has always been to uh, to be the WWE champion, and people, I'm sure they're laughing and rolling their eyes, you know, as they listen to this, but that's fine, because people have doubted me my whole career, you know, never, no one ever thought, you know, Hawkins, I would make it WWE, then we've been tanking champions, Then you know, when that was done, I was doing the woo-woo thing, and that was kind of, no one ever thought I'd, you know, I'm not anything, and then I started the YouTube show, and then I won the U.S. title, and then, a couple of years of doing nothing. And then I end up winning the IC title at WrestleMania. Like it got to points where I know people have doubted me. Even I have doubted myself, but I always find a way to, uh, to keep going. And, you know, there's a reason why, you know, I say still here and always ready. And it's a cute little hashtag and it's on my trunks and stuff like that. But it's, it's much more than that. It's a, uh, it's a way of life. And any opportunity that gets presented uh, my way, I always, I always seize it. And I capitalize. And, you know, if I'm the WWE champion for, for one minute, you know, that, that'd be fine. And, and if my career ended today, I'd be very happy with everything I have accomplished. But at the end of the day, that is
4: the ultimate goal. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I would love to see that happen one day. Now, please give us your personal plugs and, of course, the plugs for the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast as well.
1: Yeah, so uh, Twitter at Zach Ryder, Instagram at Z ZRyder85, and then on uh Instagram and Twitter for the podcast, Major WF Pod. It's the Wrestling Figure Podcast, the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. And then uh, we do a lot of cool blogs and uh, unboxings and retro reviews on YouTube.com slash Major Pod. And it's been cool to, uh, to get back into the YouTube game now with the podcast, something I didn't even think of when we first started it. We weren't even going to have separate Twitter and Instagram accounts. And now we have this YouTube channel. And now I'm, I'm back to editing stuff like I did back in the day with detailing out Long Island Story. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun to to have an idea and then to be able to film it yourself and and edit it. And, uh, you know, Hawkins and I, we have so much fun with this. But we have another guy, uh, Mark Sterling. He's our producer. He helps edit stuff. He helps us big time. He's the unsung hero of the podcast. So I want to give him a little little plug
4: ski right here. Awesome, awesome stuff. And, obviously, continue the great work on the podcast, continue the great work in the ring, and keep pushing to become WWE champion. And someday – I'm gonna amass a wrestling figure collection. My wife will kill me, but it's gonna look like yours, hopefully.
1: I mean, I hopefully everyone can dream about
4: something, right? <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. I just know I got to get the Ludwig Borga back. I got to get uh, a couple uh, warriors. I just know I got to get a, a couple uh, a couple of those, re, you know, rebuy's, if, if you will. And make sure if you have the Ludwig Borga
1: that it's not like Sam Roberts' version with nine fingers, and you have all ten fingers. Make sure you have a uh, a respectable one, unlike Sam Roberts, that cheap
4: <laughs> SOB. Yep. <laughs> cheap bastard. I'm definitely going to keep my eyes out for some Borgas. I know they're <laughs> super expensive, though. They're so expensive on eBay and stuff. And when I see them at garage sales, I think these people know what they're doing. They know what they have. So I'm like, damn it. I can never kind of get them. But uh, someday, he will be mine again.
1: Just uh, just keep, keep visualizing it, and it'll happen. Or do what I do. uh Drink a lot of wine and go on eBay late
4: night. <laughs> all right, that's a great point. All right, that, Zach, I'll let you get. <laughs> I'll let you get into Walmart so you can get that Pat Patterson figure. And thank you so much for all the time you gave us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. you having me. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, let's pause one second to tell you about our new sponsor, MyBookie. It's a new NFL season. Antonio Brown is on the Raiders, Le'Veon Bell is with the Jets, and Odell Beckham is shockingly with the Cleveland Browns. But one thing that hasn't changed is where we're putting our money down on all the NFL games. MyBookie is the place to bet on football every single weekend. MyBookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book. period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest, where the first-place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000 and it only costs $100 to enter. All you gotta do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. We wouldn't recommend a service like this to our listeners if we didn't think it was good. So head on over to MyBookie right now because if you bet, you win, they pay. MyBookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business and for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So here's our two-man power trip call to action. All you got to do is enter the promo code TMPOWER to activate the offer. They're going to give you up to $1,000 first deposit bonus, and it's all by using the promo code TMPOWER. So visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use our promo code TMPOWER when you're creating your account to claim the bonus, because with MyBookie, you bet, you win, you get paid. And we want to thank my bookie for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast family. You know, as far as you and your career, then you took a vaguely to You and that, uh, that ride. Obviously, you guys won the tag team title, but I believe it was
4: Great American Bash 2008. It was a fatal four-way. You had uh, Morrison and Miz were a team, uh, Jesse and Festus were a team. And the other team was uh, your buddy Hornswoggle and Finley, which is an interesting pairing. But you guys win the tag titles. At this point, are you happy? You know, you're the, you're the youngest WWE tag team champion of all time, basically, and they're kind of giving you the ball
5: a little bit to run. Um, Yeah, that was another, like, surprising thing. It was something we just showed up that day, had no clue. Um, and we're just, you know, you're, you know, you're thrilled and honored to do it. Um, that was especially cool because it was in the Nassau Coliseum, which was, like, Zach and I, his hometown arena, and the arena we went to as kids growing up, going to all kinds of shows. So um, it was a very, very experience and something, like I said, I was honored to do. So,
4: Is winning the tag titles as big to the wrestlers as it is to the fans? You know, like when, when it's a fan, if, you know, a guy wins a title, certain guys are like, oh, that's awesome. They're, they're giving this guy some respect. They're giving him some
5: props, you know, maybe some more money or whatever the case may be. But does it mean as much to the wrestlers as it does to the fans? Um, I think it depends. Like, yeah, like that was a big deal for us. You know, we were 22 years old and we won the tag team title. You know, I won the tag team title with my best friend in my hometown arena. You know, it's a big deal. If it's whatever, you know, somebody winning, you know, Dolph Ziggler winning the IC title for the seventh time when he should be the world champion, you know, maybe it's not such a big deal anymore because you know <laughs> he he wants more. You know, so it's a case by case thing.
4: And obviously. You guys were the youngest tag team champs ever. You guys were so young at that point. You like looking back, you got to think. You know, isn't it kind of crazy or almost a little bit surreal that you guys are that young and you're the tag team champs
5: of the WWE? Yeah, I mean, totally. But uh, you know, I, I felt like we were working so hard, we deserved it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so uh, good point. It was, it was still really cool though. And you guys end up
4: losing to um, Carlito and Primo. Did you expect to hold on for the titles a little bit longer than you did? Because it seemed like you guys were,
5: you know, in line
4: or due, like you said, for maybe a little bit more of a push.
5: Um, no, I don't know what I expected. I don't remember anything like the future plans or whatever were never really um, said to us or mapped out for us. So I, I don't think I had any kind of expectations. I do know that I want say we won them and then edged loses the Hell in the to Undertaker at SummerSlam. And we knew that Edge was, like, taking time off after that. So we were kind of like, uh-oh, this might not be good, what it wound up being, but, but it is what it is. Yeah, at that point,
4: you kind of don't know where you're going because obviously you're so closely associated with Edge. So if he's injured or if he's taking time off, where does that leave you? And then they end up splitting up Zack Ryder and yourself. What was that like? Did you guys obviously, you know, like we said, OVW together, Deep South together, you went into WWE Tag Team titles together, you train it with Mike Whipwreck together. So what's that like as they're splitting you guys up for the first time in a long time?
5: Um, It was the first time ever, period, like anywhere. So um, we hmm. kind of asked, like, not to do it. It was thrown our way, and we didn't think it was something we were at all ready for or wanted, um, and they wound up doing it anyway. Uh, fortunately for Zach, he had that like idea to be that kind of Jersey Shore Guido character, ready to go. Where it's like I didn't, I it was so far from my mind. I didn't even have anything to like pitch. So it, it was a weird time. Definitely so, and it's definitely you know crazy to think
4: you guys are together that long and then they split you up and they didn't have any real thoughts of what they wanted to do with you. So you kind of had to make a decision and. Was this true or not? Did you want to go
5: back down to FCW? Was that your decision to head back down there? Yeah. So what happened with that was they just, like, stopped booking me. Like, I wasn't doing anything. And I knew if that kept up, I was just going to get released at some point. So I called Johnny Ace and said, well, what if I go to FCW? He's like, well, we're not sending you there. I said, all right, well, I'll go myself. I don't care. I said, I, I'm better than this. So that was my plan, which – Um, work, you know, I, I, my plan was to outwork everybody and make my way back to TV, which I did. And then on the flip side, you know, I learned to be a singles wrestler and my promos, you know, working with Dusty, you know, got leaps and bounds better, you know, it really changed my career. Um, but I didn't get paid for the whole time because I was, you know, I was voluntarily there. So kind of crazy, but, uh, it all worked out in the end because ultimately I just believed in myself which is great, but what was it like working with Dusty? Because if you're
4: on a one-on-one level with him, it's awesome. And we had the unbelievable honor, but almost bittersweet, we actually did his last interview ever. It was a couple of days before he had passed, and it was just such a surreal moment for us on our show to be able to talk to him and, and him you know, him to be interacting with us the way he is. And he was so cool with us, and we barely knew him. So how was it working with him when you're working at him
5: together on a one-on-one basis like that? Oh, he's just incredible. I mean, everything you hear about him, is true. Uh, just a total um, trailblazer in the industry and just someone who just, he he always looked at wrestling like uh, differently than everyone else. You know, he was more uh, creative than the rest of us, I feel like, you know, which uh, it just made him such a genius. And uh, I was totally honored to work with him. And he really did help me out in the sense that I probably couldn't cut a promo when I got there and then went out after a year and by the time I left, I was very confident in doing that kind of thing.
4: And the interesting thing down there in FCW is obviously now everyone knows it at NXT and it's completely different than it was when it was FCW. Now they're investing time, resources, Triple H is, you know, it's his baby. He's down there all the time. And obviously doing this and that with the performance center, but when you're down there and you're kind of doing your own thing, it's the Dude Busters, which is actually a pretty good uh, Freebird-like team. Is that something that you guys kind of came up with together, or is that something you know handed down from above that
5: they want you guys to work on? Um, I'm trying to remember. I I think we did it on – there was just like a random six-man tag booked on the FCW Live event, and we did it there, and – Dr. Tom and Dusty, like, popped for it, and then Dusty just kind of, like, rode it into the TV after that. So, because the Dude Busters are already a team of Cannon Croft and Tremperetta, and they added me to it and did did it Freebird style.
0: Now, with that last thing you had in NXT and then going back there, did you ever expect to see these outside of WWE faces making their way into NXT the way they have? Because I think we just referenced it not too long ago. When Jushin Thunder Liger appears on an NXT card that's kind of the head-scratching moment of the year when you think about it.
5: No, I mean, I never in my while expected it. I think it's cool as shit, I'm glad it's going on. Um, I got nothing but praise for it. I think it's super cool. You know, the fact that Nakamura is on NXT right now is pretty badass, you know. Um, I love that WWE open to that idea now where it seemed like for so long, you know, they'd never touch somebody like AJ Styles or whatever. You know, it's very cool that they realize they're like, okay, if this guy is someone that's over, you know, in Japan, I'm sure he'll be over with our audience, which is pretty good general rule of thumb.
0: Now, do you think Mm -hmm. that opens the door for other talents to come back in at some point? If they're bringing in guys like an AJ to be a veteran or an Austin Aries, do you think it opens the door for – other past talent to be like a, a one-shot deal or a uh, like how Rhino was—he's in for a couple months. He's here, he makes an impact, and then he's gone again.
5: Yeah, I think if they're open to the concept and the way it is now, there's almost like uh, no possibility that it couldn't come true. Kind of thing, you know? It's like the uh, options are almost endless as to what you could see, which is cool because it keeps the product very unpredictable and stuff too.
4: Would you ever think about? heading down to NXT, if they asked you, you know, maybe for training for a week to help the guys or, you know, maybe make a brief appearance like Brian Kendrick did at that one point. Did you ever think about maybe doing something like that? Or have they ever reached out to you for something like that?
5: Um, I still have tons of friends that are involved, whether it be the office or the actual roster and things like that. And if the situation ever occurred, I would absolutely love to do it.
4: The thing that was cool about FCW then, though, is kind of like – that creative freedom a little bit like you said where they were like oh you guys were the dude busters Brian Myers was in there oh I kind of like that whole free bird thing and you guys win that tag title that's the kind of cool thing now it seems like N- NXT and you hear this from a lot of different guys very choreographed and you don't kind of get that spontaneity anymore of it do you see that problem in wrestling today where it's not
5: as spontaneous as it used to be you know what I mean that um, it's just kind of I, I I get it because I was there and I understand that Sometimes it's tough to kind of uh, buck the system and do what you want, you know, because, you you know, ruffling feathers is going to get you off the show. you you know, the fear of that is there. I think as a fan, what I really don't like about modern day wrestling is when I can just tell a promo is like being regurgitated word for word with like, you know, no, none of your own input whatsoever. I think that's terrible. Um, and people need to have more, Guts in that sense, and just you know, say no. Let me say it the way I would say it, not word for word how you wrote it on this piece of paper. I think that needs to change. Um, but the, that's just there's just always going to be authority, and you can't you can't just completely you know piss everyone off <laughs> so, every time. But as a wrestler, when you're sitting there thinking and you're watching,
4: let's say the Attitude Era, and you're watching Stoneful Steve Austin and The Rock cut promos, and you know that that maybe they have bullet points, but they're definitely not. Reading off the script. Do you think those, you know, those promos in that era would have been completely different if they had to read off the script? Because I don't even know if they could capture the essence of Austin or the uh, essence of The Rocker, and maybe any any guy really capture the essence if they're reading off a piece of paper.
5: Yeah, no way. It's just it's not possible, and you can't even put them in today's shoes with all the restrictions and PG and this and that. It's it's not even you, you can't compare it. So, two
4: completely different things. Definitely, two completely different eras. And if I can go back to when you actually returned from FCW and went to SmackDown, and it was kind of one of my underrated teams where I really felt like, oh, they could do something with these guys. Because if anybody knows Vance Archer, a.k.a. Lance Hoyt, actually if you watch him now he's, he's actually you know he's a good wrestler good work he's a big guy and then you have you that's you know small obviously smaller than him You're not small but smaller guy in the team and it kind of to me the gatecrashers did actually look like it was going to work as a team did you kind of feel the same way and kind of feel like maybe they dropped the ball a little bit because two underrated guys with you know the size
5: difference and the ability they could have done more with you guys um that was weird man like they called us up we had like I want to say we were pushed for like a month to six weeks, and then it just stopped Gold Turkey. I never got an explanation about it, or I've never heard even like a rumor of, of, as to what really happened. I, I honestly don't know. So I, I was excited about it. I thought it was great. I'm a big um, Shawn Michaels mark, and I, was, I looked at it as like a Shawn Diesel type, you know, big man, little man team. Mm. Yep. I really uh, I embraced it. I, I really liked it.
4: That's kind of like what I was thinking, too. I like the, the the size difference, and I thought that that could have been a cool team. And you kind of see a push coming and then not a push. Is that a frustration while you're there? It's like almost like, what are they doing here? You know, like, I thought we were going to push. Now we're not
5: getting a push. Is that something that always ran through your mind? Yeah. it's. Just, it's I say this a lot in my interviews. Like, wrestling is not a real sport. So if I was on the Met and I was the best hitter, I'm going to be in that lineup every day no matter what. Wrestling's is not like that. You know, the best player isn't always, you know, in the lineup. So you can't – it's its out of your hands. You can't get so frustrated about it. You know, you just got to do the best with what you're given at any opportunity and make the most of it. But really, at the end of the day, if someone doesn't like you or doesn't want to book you, you're not going to be, be in there. That's definitely true. And obviously, you know, Zach
4: Ryder, you're obviously a long time friend. He was kind of a victim of that a little bit. I mean, he got a huge push. He was over. His his woo-woo-woo, uh, I mean, everyone was saying it. They were all chanting it, and he was getting over. Did you love seeing him get over like that, and then hate, on the other hand, seeing that, that kind of went away, and they didn't really do anything with it, which was shocking.
5: Yeah, it's brutal, and it's it still goes on, <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. And he just proved WrestleMania. He's still relevant, The people still love him. Uh, They still react to him, so uh, it it never, ever made any sense to me why it doesn't, it's never been a consistent thing. Um, I I book small student shows that, you know, our our building holds like 150 people, I think, at capacity at Creative Pro, and I book those shows, so that's my experience in booking, but that being said, if I had a talent who got the reaction that he got on that Sunday night and then even the next Monday, you know, that following night on raw, I would feel obligated to continue using said talent and booking him. But, you know, it's bizarre. Some things don't make sense. And I guess, you know,
4: you being a long time veteran wrestler, you don't even understand it. So us as fans at some point, we're just completely in the dark and clueless on it. But something like that is is definitely, definitely strange. But, the thing that really got him over, I thought, was again going back to the spontaneity and uh, the organic, was when he did that awesome YouTube show, and obviously you were on it a lot. I just thought that they should have maybe they didn't like that he did that or whatever, but I mean, the Internet Championship, that's funny. Him saying that he's going to get the brass ring and he's getting over and he's climbing a fence. I mean, all that stuff to the fans is so funny. Obviously, he had millions and millions of views you look at something like that and say wow if this was like the attitude era the YouTube thing you know that would have been huge but in this era they kind of just shot shoot down things that don't make sense like that should have been kept going
5: um I mean it, it was huge so it was this huge I, I don't think anyone in this year's business is ever going to get over that that big like completely on his own too I mean it, there was like no TV time involved in that um so that's something to be commended, but like I said, so you know, a couple questions ago, it's <laughs> wrestling is not a real sport. So if they don't want to use them, they're not going to use them. It just ends <laughs> right there. That's it. Unfortunately, now didn't you and Tyler Rex also kind of break off and do your own
4: YouTube show? Um, yeah. Long story short, Rex
5: he got a computer program and taught himself how to animate, and he really wanted to use it basically. So uh, he talked me into making like a, uh, which is kind of ironic because we got in so much trouble for it and had to stop doing it after like three or four episodes. But it was an adult comedy, which as you all know, WWE has an adult comedy on their network that they do last week. So maybe we were a little too uh, ahead of our time. <laughs>
4: now you said you got in trouble. Why did you get in trouble for it? They just didn't want you doing it at all?
5: Uh, we were just ruffling too many feathers. We were ripping on talents and uh, all kinds of stuff like that, but that was the whole point of it. So, and, and I, I do feel like it definitely would have got over that uh, just by the reactions we were getting on social media and stuff alone. So, but we were we were uh, asked to please stop, so we did. <laughs>
4: that, that's hilarious though, because I love when guys kind of like Zach did, and like you guys, did kind of go off on your own. It's like, all right, let me try this because I want to get over, eh? and I'm not going to do it you know, scripted, all this other stuff. I'm going to try something organic. I'm going to try something funny. So I always love seeing stuff like that. And that's why you guys have always been so different. And it's so funny because you will try something different and you will go against the grain. And I feel like NXT right now is kind of going against the grain, even though there is a choreographed thing of it. And even though it is WWE, it is kind of going against the grain a little bit as far as it almost looks like ROH or it almost looks like an indie fed. What was your experience in your brief time down there in NXT?
5: Um, I, I loved it. I mean, I, uh, I got to take Billy Gunn's class for a month straight, um, which I thought was a blast. I didn't mind that at all. Um, and then at the shows, I had just awesome matches. I got to wrestle Sami Zayn a few times, which, uh, all those matches I adore. I thought they were awesome. Uh, I got to wrestle Neville a handful of times. So, it, overall, it was a great experience. Not to mention, I came from... Deep South and OVW, which were, like, hole-in-the-wall dumps, and this is, like, a state-of-the-art building that I'm training in with, like, you know, an incredible gym and eight rings or whatever, you know. It was, it was like a uh, wrestling sleepaway away camp for me, like, vacation almost. It was great.
4: Yeah, like you said, way different than Deep South or way different than OVW, and they've definitely stepped up their game, and I guess they're trying to right some wrongs with developmental because they haven't really had a guy come into the system or through the system in, in a long time that was, you know, a big name or very successful, but were you shocked when you kind of got released from WWE or, or were you, was that something you were expecting?
5: Zero uh, percent shocked, yeah. <laughs> uh, because basically I I tore my PCL in like late 2012 Um I had surgery in Alabama, like Dr. James Angie's the whole whole nine. And then I just things never really got rolling after that. They they would use me so sporadically and I tried, you know, pitch everything I could. Um, but you can only do so much writing emails, sitting at home, you know. So I was so like out of sight, out of mind for almost two years. So, uh, I was very prepared for it. Um and in that time I opened my school and and whatnot to keep me occupied too. So I I was, I was fine with it. And a lot of people always say like, Oh, you're getting paid to do nothing. That's great. But Like you try it. It's not great. It's like, uh, it's really bad for your self esteem. Almost. I'd say, and I was like borderline depressed because it's something you love so much and you're almost being paid not to participate in it. So it was a real lousy feeling. So, um, I had, you know, eight amazing years in WWE and I felt like it was a much needed break. And, Totally,
4: time for it. And you mentioned uh,
5: Create-A-Pro and and the
4: gym you started. Obviously, you and Pat Buck, who's a good friend of the show. How is that gym going? Do you see any guys from that gym that can really make it big? Because I'm thinking of Anthony Bowens or or somebody like that, like a young guy that you really see a lot of promise in at that
5: gym. There's probably too many guys to name that that I think are doing great and have Tons of potential to make a name for themselves in this business, and I, I purposely won't name them too because I don't want to inflate any egos to it as their coach. But uh, <laughs> I truly think if you're serious about being a professional wrestler and you live in the New York or New Jersey area and you don't come to our school, you're you're only kidding yourselves because you're not going to get better hands-on current knowledge like type training that that we're offering that basically no one else in the area. Can do for you.
0: Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.